Amen. Please do take a seat. Thank you, Taylor and the band, for leading us so well uh, this morning in worship. And thank you to everyone who brought their uh, contributions, uh, prophetic words and words of encouragement. So good. And uh, just was encouraged myself because I knew that um, so much of what was said this morning fitted in and dovetailed in with what the message I was uh, going to bring. Um, anyway, well, welcome to our meeting this morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, over the last few months when I've been preaching, we've been looking at uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letters to the Ephesians. And we've been in chapter one since September. Um, we actually covered eight verses in one shot last time. So uh, we, we got a little dizzy with that. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's more to get hold of. So actually, we're going to stay in chapter one for one more week, and uh, we're going to read those verses again, which uh, we looked at last time. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses 15 through um, 23. We're going to actually focus on the last two verses today, but we'll read for context from verse 15. And it says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. We've just been singing, haven't we, about that great power. Um, that power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Those are the two verses that we're going to look at today. I'll read them again. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul has been praying that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we know the hope to which he's called us. Actually, he's been praying that for the Ephesian church, but we can be confident that it would be what he would want to pray for us as well today. In other words, God's, uh, Paul's prayer is that God would switch the lights on so that we may see something clearly that we maybe haven't seen before. We might see the hope to which he's called us. And that was what we looked at last time, the hope which God has in store for us in the future, a heavenly hope, but we also saw that there was a present hope, a hope that we will see God moving powerfully in our lives today. That was what John was pretty much saying, wasn't he? He said the hope is for the past, it's for the future, but, but the gifts he was talking about, he said they're for today as well. We can expect to see some of these things today, that God moving powerfully in our lives today knowing that same power which raised Jesus from the dead and saw him ascend to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. There's a hope for today. Um, I wonder what you're hoping for in the next few minutes. Are you hoping to stay awake? 
Or are you hoping not to be bored? Or are you hoping for something from God which is actually going to be life-changing? When I heard a message on this same passage uh, in 1998 in the church I was at in the UK as a 20-something-year-old, I heard this passage preached, and it was life-changing for me because I started to see the church in a different way than I'd ever seen it before. And I gained a passion and a love for the church. I mean, before then I was involved in the church, but I couldn't say honestly that I loved the church. I certainly didn't understand what God had called the church to be. It wasn't a huge priority in my life. God was, but the church wasn't. And for those of us sitting here today or watching online, we will have different perspectives on the church depending on our experience and depending on what we've come to understand from Scripture. For some, church may just be something that we do on a Sunday. Maybe we were brought up going to church and that's kind of what we've carried on doing. For others, Maybe you used to have a real passion, a real fire burning in your heart for the church, but for various reasons now that may have waned. And now you've kind of settled into a kind of routine that you know isn't quite what it was in the past. The pressures of life, things that happen or don't happen, disappointments that we have, all of those things can make us weary and can make us cynical even about the church. But Paul wants us to see something about the hope that he's been talking about in relation to the church. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what's Paul saying here? God fills everything, everything, in every way, And he does it through the church, which is his fullness. If you see that, he's he's saying this is how God's acting. This is how God's working in the church. He fills everything in every way through the church, his body, which is the fullness of him. It's the fullness of him. When Paul talks about the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, he wants us to know that that same power is at work in and through the church. Grasping what the church is about is not easy. Paul even admits that himself in chapter 5. He's talking about husbands and wives when he gets to chapter 5. That's uh, that's a passage to look forward to in a few years' time Um, (laughs) when we get to it. He's talking about husbands and wives and being united to one another, being one flesh. And then he says this in the middle of a passage about husbands and wives. He says, um, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You think, hang on, I thought, Paul, I thought you were talking about husbands and wives. He says, no, 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 this is, it's a, there's a connection here. It's a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's like talking about husbands and wives becoming one flesh, and he's saying, well, do you know what? It's, it, 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 it's hard to get our heads around, but actually it's the same as Christ and the church. That's really what's going on. Christ and the church somehow becoming one. We're probably pretty comfortable saying Jesus is the hope of the world. 
We're pretty comfortable saying Jesus is the hope of the world, and it's true. But how comfortable are we saying the church is the hope of the world? But that's what Paul is actually getting at. He's saying it's a profound mystery, but, but Jesus and the church are one now. They're one. And, and so if we say Jesus is the hope of the world, well, the church is the hope of the world too. That's what Paul's getting at. It's a profound mystery. But it's worth trying to get hold of. Many people in our society still think of church as the building. Oh, it, the, we, you know, the, it's the church on the corner. Um, a few years ago, I saw a Facebook post uh, by a church which I once knew well. And this, uh, this, this church had got a building, but it had purchased another building, and it was moving premises. And it posted uh, this picture, I think we've got it on the screen, posted this picture on Facebook, and it said, join us on Saturday as we pack the entire church into storage containers. <laughs> I, had to, I had to laugh about it. Here is actually a picture of the church in that same yard coming up as well, the next picture. Um, hopefully. There we go. There is a picture of the church. They look quite happy to be packed into storage containers. They look too miserable about it. Um, <laughs> I cheekily posted on their, on their page, I said, could they not just get a bus or something like that instead to move <laughs> storage containers? No, the church is the people. The church is not the building. The church is not the, 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 the things that are in the building, the chairs or the equipment. The church is the people. So when we sing a song like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, come flood this place, and fill the atmosphere, which is a great song to sing. What is it that we're asking? Are we asking that the Holy Spirit is somehow going to do something in this building? Or are we asking that the Holy Spirit does something in us as God's church, as his people? That's what we're singing. That's what, we're, that's what it's about. It's not about fill this building because the building is bricks and mortar and metal and, and whatever. The church is Christ's body. The church is God's people. It's, it's so much more. It's so much more than that. Paul has, pr has prayed for wisdom and revelation for the church. He said, let the eyes of our heart be enlightened. Switch the lights on, God. Let's believe something about the church. Let's so believe something about who the church is. And in the New Testament, Paul and others who were writing use a lot of different metaphors, a lot of different illustrations for the church to help us understand what it, the church is about. In Ephesians 2, he describes the church as a building with Jesus as its cornerstone. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he describes the church as God's household or a family. And so it's important, therefore, to apply everything that Joe was saying last week about family. We apply that, as well as our nuclear family, we can apply that to the church family as well, because the church is family. In Re the book of Revelation uh, and in other places, the church is being described as being like a bride with Jesus as the bridegroom. I think Trevor uh, touched on that this morning. Someone certainly did and talked about the church being the bride of Christ. Jesus spoke about the church as being like branches off a vine and, uh, and being rooted into that vine. But the most common uh, one, which we see in a number of places, is the metaphor as the church as a body. 
And that's what Paul's talking about here. We see that in Romans 12 and verse 4. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it in Ephesians 4, 15. And in some of those passages, he's talking about how we all have different functions in the body, different gifts like John was talking about. But here in Ephesians 1, he's talking about how we relate to Jesus, who is the head of the body. And because we're connected to Jesus, we're also involved in his supreme authority and his wonderful power. One of the things that we first notice about a body, when we look at a body, is there's a connectedness to it, isn't there? We, we, we look at a body and we, we don't necessarily focus in on all the individual parts. We, we see the whole body. So there are many parts to it, but we, we might talk about fingers and toes and arms and knees, but they're not all separate. The, the body is one body and it's connected together. And there's no clear join where my fingers end and my hands start. It kind of all merges together. The body is living. It's organic. We're not loosely attached to each other. We're connected together by tendons and ligaments. And Paul takes that truth. And in Romans 12 and verses 4 and 5, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though we're many, form one body. And each member belongs to the others. That's, let's not miss that sentence. Each member belongs to all of the others. Now that's a huge statement, isn't it? Did you know that if you're part of the church here? You belong to each other. Each member belongs to all of the others. It's not just that the church uh, is the people, as though it was kind of some sort of collective noun for a group of Christians who might happen to be in the same place at the same time. Like um, a herd of cattle. Uh, a herd is the connective, uh, collective noun for a group of cattle who might be in the same place at the same time. A group of cows aren't all connected to one another. They don't belong to one another, but the church does. The church does. So it's not like, oh, we're the church just because we're all here in this same place. No, we're the church because there's some sort of connection to each other. We're a body, even though there's many parts and there's, there's just one body, and Christ is the head. We're all joined to each other. And, if we, and we belong to each other, and if we grasp this truth, it has huge implications for how we relate to each other. It has huge implications. Because we might go, oh, I, well, I, don't, I don't know many people in the church. You, you, you might not know many people in the church, but you belong to them. You belong to each other. We belong to each other. So we must realize our connectedness with each other and make every effort not to think about the church kind of just in in casual ways because there's implications to belonging to one another if i want to go out somewhere to eat with my family i've got lots of choices depending on what i feel like depending on what the occasion is for my daughter grace's 18th birthday we decided to go out for a special meal to the palette restaurant it's her 18th birthday we're going out to the palette um, for other birthdays, we might have gone out together to Swiss Chalet. We have. If we're in a rush to get somewhere, we might decide to go to Wendy's or McDonald's. We choose differently 
depending on the situation, depending on the occasion. And if we're not careful, we can start to do that with churches too, because there are lots of choices out there, lots of good places to go depending on what we're looking for. So maybe we think, okay, let's go to Christ Central this week. But next week, they've got a guest speaker at Smythe Street Church, so maybe we'll go there. And actually, there's a great kids program at Hope City, so maybe when our grandchildren come to visit, we'll go to Hope City. But the church isn't like a restaurant. It's not about us choosing what we fancy and what appeals to us on a certain day and getting what we want on different occasions. That's not what the church is about. That's not what Jesus intended his church to be. So we've got to be careful we don't slip into that way of thinking. We might want to be careful about the language that we use even for our gatherings, depending on what we mean by them, because we can subtly get get the wrong impression or give the wrong impression, a bit like when we talked about packing the church into shipping containers. If we call our gatherings together services, church services, maybe most people today might get the idea that we go and are served, like at a restaurant. Only this time, maybe we're served by the staff who work at the church. Now, to some extent that might happen, but we really only employ people in the church in order to free their time up to do the specific things that God's called them to do, and some of those might need more time than we'd have if we had a regular uh, a, a job elsewhere. Originally, that wasn't what the, me- the term church service meant. Uh, church, the term church service originated in the 14th century in the UK, and this is what it meant. The practice or occupation of serving the church, work or duties carried out for the benefit of the church. So, if we understand that that's what church is about, service might be a good word for it, but service isn't about us being served. Service is about us coming and serving us coming and serving each other, working duties carried out for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of each other. And if we understand that, then that's great. We can use that an occasion where we work or serve to benefit each other. So if we ever find ourselves thinking, you know, well, why has Joe or Mark or Jody or Emma, why have they asked whether I can do something uh, in the church? Isn't that, we might think, isn't that their job? Don't we pay them to do it? If we start thinking in that kind of way, we've, we've actually bought into an unbiblical way of thinking about what the church is. The church isn't run by the staff, and the church isn't uh, run by the elders uh, in that sense. Um, the church is all of us working together. The church is all of us serving each other. Going back to Romans 12, where Paul just said that we all belong to each other. He goes on to say, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. Well done, Trevor, for doing that this morning. If it's serving, then serve. Well done, welcome team, AV team, others who are serving this morning. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. I'm sure in the conversations that we have afterwards, people who are encouragers will be encouraging each other. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul's basically saying, look, we all belong to each other. We're all responsible for each other, and we've all got different 
functions. So come on, play the part that God has got for you in the church. And don't just do it, just do it with a, do it with a great attitude. You know, if giving, be generous. If leading, do it well. If showing mercy, do it cheerfully. He's not just talking about what we do. He's talking about our attitude when we do it. Don't be resentful. Don't have a bad attitude about doing what you've been created by God to do as part of his body. Being the person that God has called you to be as part of his body. And don't shrink back from it. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul addresses some of the common things that we can think about when we're being part of the body. Some of the things that we might struggle with, some of the things that we battle with in our mind. And there's two main lies, two major lies that the enemy can tell us about the church. And we find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to turn there. So the first one is, I don't fit. I don't belong. That's a lie. And Paul talks about it here, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. It's part of the body. Just because it says, I don't feel I'm part of the body, it doesn't mean it's not. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. Look, if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God's placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, that's one of the things that people think. I don't fit. I don't fit. One of the reasons you might feel that is because maybe the people who are the encouragers aren't encouraging you. There might be all sorts of reasons you feel like that. But Paul highlights a, a common reason, and he says, and it's this, I'm not like everyone else in the church. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever come and been part of a group of, in the church and just thought, oh dear, I don't know if I fit here. I'm not like everyone else. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, Firstly, just because you say you don't fit doesn't mean you don't. But secondly, he's saying, you not being like everyone else is the exact proof that you do belong. Because we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to all be the same. It's not supposed to be a body full of eyes or a body full of ears. Otherwise, it's not a body. He's saying we've got eyes and ears and knees and toes and all sorts of parts of the body. He goes on. He talks about some parts of the body. Or you don't even want to mention them, but they're still important. He talks about all of those sort of things. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you don't belong. If you don't use the unique gift, and primarily the gift is you to the body, by the way. It's not a thing. It's you being who you are, if you don't use your unique gift and bring that, it actually just means the body isn't working in the way it should be, as though we've got a part of our body which is disabled or not working well. Paul's saying, come on, you do belong. That's one of the lies the enemy tells us. The second lie is, we don't need anyone else. We don't need anyone else. Maybe we've been hurt by people in the church in the past. It happens. Sometimes people get incredibly hurt, actually, and I'm not minimizing that at all. 
But as God's people, we're not made to go it alone with God. Just me and God. I just want to do it with me and God. That's not how he created us. Paul says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Paul's not talking about Jesus as the head in this illustration. He's saying we all need each other. He said, but God's put the body together, so there should be no division. But its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. It's a huge lie, which is common in our modern Christian culture to think we don't need to be part of a vibrant church community together. We can get on just fine on our own. Truth is, we can't. As the church, the parts of the body are committed and hopefully functioning well together. And we've got that common hope. And when we understand that common hope, well, when we lose that, when we lose that, we begin to back away or we begin to shop around. But when we understand it, when hope's restored, we get settled and we get committed and we get satisfied and fulfilled. And it, and it is sad, as I've said, many good folk have got hurt in the past in the church and now walk alone. And they're missing out on something huge because the church is the body of Christ. If you're not functioning as a member of the church, in that sense, you're not living as part of his body. So in that sense, there's something awful about leaving the church. And we see how awful that is in other parts. In, in 2 Corinthians and chapter 2, verse 6, Paul is talking about a man who is, has been in sin. He's been in deliberate, ongoing sin. He might be the same guy who's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in that passage, Paul's urging the church. He says, Look, this guy's living in sin. You're kind of doing nothing about it. You need, to do, you need to deal with it. You need to tell him. You need to kind of put him outside of the church. And you need to tell people, don't associate him with him. Don't eat with him. And that can, we can think, well, that sounds a bit harsh. And it, the idea of that isn't that it's a punishment, because that's not ours to bring. It's that actually if we do that, we might bring him to his senses and make him realize what he's lost when he's not part of the church. So it's saying, look, th this guy, he's got to come to repentance somehow, so put him outside of the church because that's going to be difficult for him. And in 2 Corinthians, whether it's the same man or someone else, there's clearly been some repentance taken place. And so Paul says to the church, he urges them, restore him, forgive him, comfort him. And his reason is so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Bring him back in so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So the point's this. For a Christian not to be part of the church is a huge deal. It, it, Paul's saying it causes excessive sorrow. I wonder if it's such a big deal for us. It's difficult even to apply some of that teaching today because people today might just say, oh, okay, I'll just go along to a different church in the city point is church is more precious than we've understood. To be out of it causes excessive sorrow. To be in the church, part of the church, is to be filled with hope and intimacy. So we're not separate. We're not loosely attached to each other. We're not loosely attached to Christ either. All of our power comes from him. He's the very source of our life. All of our power and energy comes 
from him. And if that is severed, then we're not part of the body anymore because we'll die. Paul's been talking about that power at work in us, and we need to be believing for and seeing that power at work in the church. And some people might, you know, and, and it's, it can be hard. We've got to put effort into it. We've got to put energy into it. We've got to, you know, it, it, it's about stirring ourselves sometimes. And you might say, well, aren't we just supposed to abide in Christ? That kind of means we just kind of gives the impression we just relax and rest. Well, John does talk, in, in John's gospel, Jesus does say, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus isn't talking about resting and doing nothing. He's talking about remaining connected with him and getting all of our strength and power from him. So my arm, if it was disconnected, you know, my arm and the muscles there, they're not isolated from the rest of my body. There's a power which comes from ultimately my head. It sends signals. There's power that comes and there's life and power coming from that nerve. On its own, it would just kind of be relaxed and flabby. To be of use, it's got to be exercised. It's got to be developed. And the more I exercise it, the, the greater the power and energy will go into it. So I can get stronger the more I exert that strength. And I'm like, I'm not getting the strength. The strength isn't just coming from my arm. The strength's coming from what's going on in my head and the power and the life source that's coming from that. I'm working, God's working, and the power and the strength is coming. We get stronger the more that we work. They work together. It's not all brain. It's not all muscle. The brain acts through the muscle. So we don't just sit and wait for God to do something. We, we realize that the church is the body of Christ. We realize that we are all connected to him and his power. So we act, we move in different ways. We do things. We exercise that power. As we do that, we get more power. The gifts that God's given us, as John was saying, you know, let's bring those gifts. Let's stir those gifts into life. As we start to use them, they'll get stronger. We'll get more gifts. We'll encourage each other all the more. Don't just pray that, oh God, I'm just sitting here, give me some power. When you give me the power, I'm going to act. As though God's going to suddenly zap you and you're like, oh, I'm full of power now, so now I'm going to do something. Actually, it's about us getting up and going and acting, believing that God has given us that power, and then he's going to work through us. And that could be through serving, it could be through actively resisting the, the enemy and the temptations. Don't expect God to just take away all your temptations and all of your lusts and whatever it might be. Don't just sit passively and wait for the blessing. Do what you can and blessings will come. The church is the fullness of God and something about heaven invading earth happens when the church comes together. The church isn't meant to be a place of boredom or lifelessness or failure or disappointment. It's the fullness, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We need God to show us that, to turn the lights on. And once he's done that, actually you find there's nowhere else that you'd rather be than with the church. 
I mean, obviously, there's much of our lives where we go into our workplaces and our schools and the activities that we're involved in. But is there anywhere that you would rather be on a Sunday morning, maybe when the church gathers or whenever the church gathers? Is there anywhere that you would rather be, maybe when your small group gathers? Sadly, for many, the answer to that question is, yeah, there is. There's a few places I'd rather be. And that was the same for me, too. And then God turned the lights on so that I could see more clearly. Now I can honestly say there is nowhere I would rather be than with the church. And that's not to say that it's easy. I've been hurt many times, as I'm sure many of you have. Close friends have had major issues with me at times. Insensitive things have been said to us. I could go into many, but I, I won't. So many occasions when there's been insensitivity, there's been hurt, and I know, if I'm honest, I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. I know I've said things and done things that have hurt people, hopefully unintentionally, but the hurt is still real. There are many things that we have to overcome. It's so much easier to go it alone, so much easier. But that's not what God created us for. It's not what he intends for us. Hear me right, I'm not telling you you ought to come to church every week. You should know me well enough now to know that I wouldn't say you ought to come to church every week. But I am praying that God will switch the lights on for all of us so that we understand what the church is and how you are included in it. It's all that I've said and, and, and more. I haven't got time. It's a place where principalities and powers are overcome. haven't even got time to look into that. Let's not become cynical about the church. It's so important. It might not always be riveting. It's encouraging to know that Paul was preaching once and a man fell asleep and fell out of the window. <laughs> Some of you might struggle with the preaching. You might feel your kids aren't getting much from it sitting here. I tell you, actually, God's doing far more than you know. Believe it. He's at work by his spirit. It might not always be exciting or entertaining, but church is life-changing. It's culture-changing. It's world-changing. The truth is, Fredericton can be changed by the church, by people being discipled, by lives being transformed. Paul was in Ephesus for two years, and it says all of Asia heard the gospel. They turned the world upside down because God's power was at work in the church, and God's power is at work in us too. We are his body. His power is at work in us by his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.22 says we're being built together as a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. God amongst his people here in Fredericton. Do we understand that? Do we understand the implications of it? It's massive. It's massive. Why don't we pray together that we understand and that God turns the lights on? Why don't the band come back up? They're going to lead us in a song in a moment. And let's stand together. Let's stand together. And uh, I'd love to pray for us as a church, as God's people. Father God, what we've looked at this morning is a, a profound mystery. It, it doesn't make sense on so many levels to say that the church is the hope of the world. God, it doesn't seem to make sense. But Lord, that's what you say. 
And you say it's a profound mystery. And so I want to pray you will help us as a church to understand that. I pray you'll help us to understand the part that we play in that. Lord, we confess there are many things which would seek to prevent us from understanding and living in the fullness of it. Things that have happened in the past. Hurts that have been very real and still remain today. Insecurities about do I fit, do I belong. Attitudes of I actually can do all right, I can do better on my own. Father God, reveal to us the truth of what you've done in us. You've made us your people. You've joined us together as a body. We belong to one another. We serve one another. We encourage one another. We live to see the world transformed by the church in the power that comes by the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead. Help us to grasp it, Lord. Help us not to just dismiss it. Let us live it. Be, let us be changed by this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.